Welcome to a new edition of the Neon Jazz Interview Series with Bay Area veteran jazz guitarist Jim Witzel. He opened up about his new 2023 CD called Feeling It. He grew up in the North Bay Area town of San Rafael and began learning guitar at the age of 12. He explored various styles like folk, pop, rock, and blues and began studying jazz guitar in high school with the well-known Bay Area teacher and performer Dave Smith. He has quite a few stories to tell. Enjoy this interview. Thank you for sending me the music in the mail. It's so good from my end of the microphone to see so many artists that are releasing material. Things are getting back. Live gigs are happening. So thank you for, for reaching out. Oh, to you're welcome. Thanks and, for, the, for the interview and the call. It's greatly appreciated. Yeah, absolutely. My pleasure. And before we get into the brand new album, you know, the elephant in the room has been COVID. And I'm curious, how did you survive that two-year time period? You know, because it was particularly rough on the jazz community. And how has it changed the way that you approach things now? Fortunately, I have some, my sort of my day gig or gigs is teaching, and I have a mix of two universities, uh, a private studio, and a little local music school. So um, that's kind of my bread and butter and a few gigs that come around. Of course, all the places that were having live music shut down like tight <laughs> and some haven't come back and a couple have, or there's a couple of new venues around. Uh, I'm down in the closer to the South Bay San Jose area. And, uh, you know, one of the tracks on the album, the solo guitar or the guitar duet piece I did in the summer of 2020 at a studio, uh, people I've known for many years and then waited a year till the summer of 21 to do the group stuff. So uh, things were really, really quiet. <laughs> yeah, for sure. So this has to feel good to see this come out now at this particular oh. time, but uh, as much as you put into it. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I, it's uh, the whole process took a lot longer than I had sort of planned on the getting the artwork and the photos and uh, the liner notes and you know all the technical side and the mixing. It just went on much longer than I thought, and I'm actually planning a follow-up recording um, targeted for June, and this time around, it's going to be a different story in terms of getting it done, getting it out. Um, of course, I say that now. I'd like to get it out by the fall of next year, but we'll, or this year, but let's see how it goes. <laughs> well, that's the thing from my perspective. You know, anytime I'm talking about a new album, the artist has already moved on, so it's kind of uh, par for course. I'm curious with this project, what are you hoping those that either buy or download this or stream it, what do you hope they get from this experience? Um, well, it's, um, it's kind of a new take on an old format, which is, you know, the organ trio or organ quartet format, which um, I love. I've always liked that because they always use guitar. <laughs> and... Uh, I wrote a few tunes there that had a little bit of a more modern edge, but still very much in the tradition. All the guys on the recording, my buddies, were all studied really hard, you know, learning the masters, and we still do. And, but yet we wanted to kind of uh, reflect our our experiences, our generation, or have you. I mean, um, 
putting Norwegian Wood on there, I'm sure to a lot of younger people, they may not even know who the Beatles were, but I sure did, and I wanted to, uh, you know, present a little different slice on a Beatle tune. Well, this is, this is going to show my age and how much the Beatles have influenced me. That was the track I picked to put on the show. So, oh. I was, yeah. Great. yeah, I was pretty excited about it. So let's go back into your life. Let's dig right back to the beginnings. Talk to me a little bit about your childhood and how these seeds of jazz were planted in you to play and to love it. Oh, okay. Well, I, um, I'm from the San Francisco Bay Area, Northern Cal, um, north of the, of the Bay, uh, an area called Marin County. I started playing when I was 12 or 13, and just the usual path, you know, folk and pop and rock and then blues. And um, there were some really good guitar players around when I was in those pivotal high school years. And I got a teacher in San Francisco who got me started on jazz and exposed me to uh, you know, my early favorite players, Kenny Burrell and Joe Pass and Jim Hall, Wes Montgomery, um, and, you know, studied with him for a few years and then um, found teachers or players that I would just kind of have one-off lessons with. I uh, Jerry Hahn was one guy and then got to be good friends with John Abercrombie, uh, the New York-based guitarist who unfortunately passed away a few years back. Um, he was somewhat of a mentor to me. And um, I moved down to L.A. for a period and lived down there, had a couple of lessons with a player there, Joe DiOrio, um, not a household name, but a really, really advanced, unique player. And just kind of tried to develop, kind of tried to find my voice. Uh, I still feel like I am. You know, uh, a combination of those players, their sensibility, um, and the things I like. I, you know, I I was young, but I was influenced by that late '60s Beatles and pop, and and um, along with all the jazz. And uh, I think that's kind of reflected on this recording somewhat. So, you know, it's interesting you bring up Jerry Hahn. You know, I hear a lot of West Coast players talk about him, and he's in Kansas City. And the last time I heard him referenced in public, which was almost in a godlike sense, was on March 3rd, 2020, before the lockdown happened, before we even knew that it happened. There may have been one case of the coronavirus here in our area. Bill Frizzell had a concert, and at the end of it, he had a question and answer. And Jerry was actually there, and Bill pointed oh, out. Oh, really? And, yeah, and it was wild because... Um, you know, Jerry, I don't know if it's his health or how old he is now, but, you know, he just kind of seemed like he was, you know, at that point in his life where he's been around for a little while. So, um, but anyways, they, they lauded him and everybody gave him a rousing, um, you know, ovation. And he was, I could just tell the surprise in his eyes because wow, there's Bill Frizzell, the big blue note guy. And then, you know, right. I thought Jerry was... Over. I thought he was living in Portland, but I guess he moved out. He must have moved away. Yeah. Well, this is the thing. After that show, I really wanted to like interview him, and he said that he was in the middle of possibly some changes in his life, so he may have moved up there. Um, uh-huh. But I know that he was in Kansas City for a while, and um, you know his lore in Kansas City is pretty magnanimous as well. So. Um, Anyway, I just I, I heard that name come out, so I, I, I just remembered yeah. that. Um, so, 
you know, the one thing I noticed with you is that you went to L.A. and then you came back to the Bay Area. Talk to me a little bit about your trajectory, what, what kind of transpired in your timeline. Oh, uh, well, I moved down there after I got – I after I graduated college, um, San Francisco State, where I'm now happened just by coincidence, um, I've been on faculty for many years. A lot of my friends were moving south, and I was kind of feeling a little stale in San Francisco. I mean, it's a great city. Back then, it was very affordable, <laughs> not like today. Three or four of my buddies, musician and non-musician, had moved south, and I thought, you know, maybe... I'm single. Uh, maybe this is the time to do it. And um, I had met a, a singer-songwriter uh, friend who now is in Seattle and uh, kind of Joni Mitchell influenced. And she'd say, uh, she told me, I'd really like it. If you come down, we could put a band together and uh, do some gigs and try and get a record deal. And I thought, okay, well, uh, this is the L.A. thing that everybody tries to do. So I moved down and we put our band together and recorded demos and met with producers and went through that whole business. Uh, we didn't really get as far as we had hoped. But I also met people in the jazz scene. Um, there was a lot of fusion going on then, and I was in a band led by a saxophone player friend of mine who I still know, Dave LaFay, and we did an album and we worked and did some uh, club work and festivals and the like. And then the other thing I did was formed my own group with uh, three other guys, uh, piano, bass, and drums. And that was an acoustic kind of straight ahead, a little bit of uh, Euro ECM influence. And we recorded and uh, played, worked pretty regular. And um, that's, the one guy that I'm going to redo that music this summer and do a new recording with the pianist who's uh, now living in Minneapolis, but he's going to come out to the Bay Area. And um, we're going to revisit some music that we used to play many years ago. And I'm going to throw in a couple of newer originals. And uh, that's going to be my acoustic band project for next summer. L.A. was great. It's a great city to live in maybe when you're in your 20s, maybe 30s. But then by after that, uh, it starts to wear on you. It starts to grind you down. So it was time to leave, and I decided to move back up to the Bay Area, which is really I consider my home. So, you know, over the years, you know, you've been around for a little while, but throughout the years you've played with a lot of people that have been around for a while. What have you always learned from kind of the veterans and legends and luminaries that you in turn teach younger players that you get around? That's interesting you mentioned that. The, I do have a recording from many years back, and uh, I did that after I'd moved back to the Bay Area, but I still was going back and forth to L.A. a lot. And I hired some name guys, Ernie Watts on tenor and Russell Ferrani on piano and uh, a drummer, a great drummer who, sadly passed away, Ralph Penland, Mark Johnson, Bill Evans' bassist, was out visiting from New York, and I got these guys together. <laughs> we never rehearsed, and we just read charts, and uh, I was really struck by their level of confidence and professionalism, and um, 
you know, there were some problems in the studio that night. The piano was out of tune, and I was kind of freaking out. And they were like, don't worry. It's going to be okay. We're going to get it. We'll get it down, what you want on tape. I just remember that so well that these guys live in the studio. You know, I, I didn't really, hadn't done that much recording then, and, and they um, were just uh, fearless and just said, let's just keep going. We'll stay here as long as you need us, you know, uh, which kind of helped me calm down a little bit. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, I got a question for you. You know, the one thing I noticed, especially over the pandemic, I had moved, I'm in the Kansas City metro, so I moved from Kansas City, well, suburb, to Lee Summit, and I'd always tell guitarists that I'm from the home of Pat Metheny. I know. Everybody had a a Pat Metheny story. Do you have a Pat Metheny story? Well, I only met Pat once and talked to him when he came through on his first tour with his group with Lyle Mays and when it was just four guys, and he was being interviewed by a magazine backstage and I went back to say hi and and uh he kind of wrapped up that interview and he he kind of talked to me for a minute and said you know I do my routine whenever I play I have to warm up extensively and I'm gonna have to excuse you and I said no problem you know maybe we'll chat another time he was very nice very affable but he definitely wanted some quiet time um I was at a party quite a few years ago and I, I met a woman I, I didn't know and I asked her, where are you from, by the way? And she said, oh, I'm from a little town in the Midwest called Lee Summit. And I said, Lee Summit? How can that be? And she said, let me guess. You're going to ask me if I know Pat Messini. And I said, <laughs> yes. And she said, actually, I know we call them the Messini Brothers. Mike and Pat, everybody knows yeah. them in Lee's Summit. And and I was like, wow, how, I mean, that's just uh, out there in Missouri somewhere. How could anybody know about that? But she was kind of laughing about it and said, yeah, everybody's known Pat since he was 12 years old or something like that. You know, it's interesting, you know, Lee's Summit now is kind of a metropolis. It's really grown. It's really big. And, um, I know Mike. I, when I went to college back in the day, I sat down next to this guy and we start talking. And I'm like, you know, we introduced each other. And he's like, my name's Mike, Mike Matheny. And he kind of looked over at me. And I wasn't into jazz then. And he was waiting for it. And I was like, cool, man. Nice to meet you. He was like, you mean you, you're not going to ask me about my brother? And I was like, who's your brother? <laughs> and he was like, <laughs> who's your brother? Yeah. yeah. He's like, he's the greatest guitar player ever. But Mike's a flugelhorn trumpet player, and we started talking, and we've had a friendship. But we had a more journalistic friendship more than anything else. He's a wonderful cat. Um, but, yeah, the uh, the lore of Pat Metheny and the Metheny's are, is rather high. In fact, uh, author wrote a book about his early Kansas City years, coming out of high school and getting a start before leaving. And it's fascinating, and it talks mm. about his regimen and his how he worked so hard at what he did and how he gigged constantly and just kind of his philosophy that's been the cornerstone of him being sure. and being as prolific as he is. So it's, uh, what's, it's what's Mike, what's Mike up to these days? Is he, uh, in academia or he actually was running our kind of jazz Bible magazine called jam magazine for a while and mm. writing and 
he was the editor, and he just uh, he just released a book I got a few years ago about letters that he used to write somebody that owned a mill in Lee Summit, and they were kind of had different political and and ideological views, and it was kind of this uh, just kind of a nice expose of those two talking to each other. So I think he does huh. more of the writing journalistic side of things, but yeah, he's still around from what I what I know and still at mm-hmm. it. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, it's good stuff. So I, I'm curious with you too. You know, every day you wake up, you have things that you look forward to. You're a musician. You get to create. What is it that drives you every day? What What has been kind of the key to your longevity, and what motivates you every day? God, that's a big question. <laughs> Sometimes I think it's obsession. Yeah. Other times, I wasn't really uh, sort of that crucial time in the middle of high school. You know where. Sometimes people take one path or another. There wasn't a whole lot of other things I could, I sort of could see myself doing, and um, or that I really want to be doing. And uh, I just kept sort of staying with the guitar and um, changing. And then jazz presented a really interesting uh, area because there's so much to it, and there's so much to study and to learn and you can just keep growing with it. And, uh, I mean, some people reach a point and they're happy with their playing and they play great. And, um, that's a wonderful thing. I just always felt like there was another song to learn or another tune to write, some new guys to play with a new place to gig, you know, just, uh, I just wanted to keep, pushing it and see how far I could go with it. And um, there's times when it's quite frustrating. You know, you're you're working hard and you feel like nothing's happening. But other times, um, this last few months has been great because since releasing the album, I've gotten a lot of positive feedback from the writers, the reviewers, and uh, the radio people such as yourself. And it's kind of opened up opportunities for some festivals and concerts that you know you just you just can't get into those places if you don't have some kind of quote product to uh to hand somebody to a promoter so i kind of feel like okay i i'm going to follow this now for a while and i'm at a place where i can do more recordings and i've kind of mapped out five or six more um you know, all things uh, with, uh, if all the ducks fall in a row, uh, I want to keep doing different projects, each one a little bit different, but still me kind of at the center of it. Um, so that's very exciting and um, kind of keeps me motivated. Projects like that can really keep me motivated. So speaking of festivals and live gigs, what was the first live show that you witnessed that made you think I'd love to be up on stage doing that oh boy that's a long time back uh live gig uh oh boy I I can hardly remember I mean I caught the tail end of the 60s kind of uh the Bay Area was a real hot spot for bands and my friends and I used to sneak into the Fillmore when we were underage and stuff like that and hear, you know, those rock bands. I heard Cream and The Doors and, uh, you know, those guys, Jimi Hendrix. Um, that was a really exciting time. But, you know, there wasn't one specific 
show that I just I was like, wow, this is it. This is what I'm going to sign up for. It was more a combination of all the elements that were going on at the time. And then jazz, uh, oh boy, I mean, it was more with recordings because I wasn't uh, going out to clubs at that point. I was a little too young for that, but I still remember the first time I put on the West Montgomery's Boss Guitar. I, I mean, that album, I know every note of that album in my head, and it still excites me to hear it. Uh, and other albums, you know, from some of my fave jazz players that are just embedded on my brain. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So why do you love jazz? Well, it's, um, I think I've given this a lot of thought, and it's a combination of a lot of the elements I like in music. You know, I grew up with a lot of pop music. My parents used to, play show tune albums for, you know, we'd have albums on from the musicals, uh, you know, West Side Story and and stuff like from that period. And I always loved melody, really melodic music and pop music. And um, and then with jazz, there's the improvis- impro- improvisation aspect to it, which is total freedom but with discipline, with rules. And um, that's a lifelong challenge, playing those chord changes and coming up with nice melodies and the rhythm, focusing on the swing, the feel. So um, I think those two elements, and then, you know, a little more modern, uh, uh, a little more of a rock feel once in a while is really nice. So I think, uh, you know, the combination of, the melody from the pop side and the great standards, you know, the tunes by Gershwin and Cole Porter and Richard Rogers and the harmony that, that can get very quite complex, but very challenging. And the time, the swing factor and all together, it creates this kind of a vortex that just is forever challenging. Yeah. So everyone out there has a perception of you, your family, your friends, your fans, but ultimately you're in control of your life. You live it. What's your perception of you? Who do you think you are? Uh, <laughs> well, you're asking some great questions, Joe. Um, Thank you. Yeah, I uh, I think I'm a guy, I'm a family guy now. My daughter's turning 12 today. Um, you know, a middle-aged guy that's worked really hard uh, to keep family friendships, music together, and try and find some kind of balance. At times, it's very challenging. Um, Though now, for the first time in several years, I've been really able to focus on my music career. I had to take kind of a backseat to a lot of teaching that I was doing to keep the family thing going. Um, And, uh, you know, just a guy, a hardworking musician that's trying to present myself, my identity through my recordings and playing. Yeah, that's, and I'd like to just keep that going as long as possible. What a great answer. Yeah, I've gotten to a point that you mentioned your daughter's birthday. My favorite days anymore are are my son's birthday. He just turned 18, so I love Uh, those days. They're magical. Yeah. Um, 
Jim, thank you for opening up. Thank you again for sending the music. I look forward to spending Norwegian Wood on the show and getting this interview out. So thank you for your time. Thank you so much, Joe. Take care. Have a good day. Thanks for listening and tuning in to another Neon Jazz interview, where we give you a bit of insight into the finest players in L.A., San Francisco, Kansas City, and spots all over the world, giving fans all that jazz. And thanks to Jim for his time, music, and story. If you want to hear more interviews, go to Famous Interviews with Joe Domino in the iTunes Store. Visit Neon Jazz at YouTube.com for everything Neon Jazz all the time. Go to the neonjazz.blogspot.com. Until next time, enjoy the jazz, my friends. Neon Jazz.